Hello, and welcome to another installment of On Deck presented by Deep Dive Sports. My name is Greg, and I'm joined again today by Dominic. Thanks for having me back on for another episode. Today, we're going to be talking about the Field of Dreams game that happened in Iowa over the last week and a half or so. We're going to talk about the Triple Crown. Yes, there is a Triple Crown in baseball, and who's coming close to possibly doing it, who's done it last, and how many times it's been done few years the very end of that we're going to talk about the standings where everybody stands in their specific leagues american and national uh who's the wild cards that are going to be there and then we're going to talk about one fact about baseball that maybe you didn't know that we were kind of looking up some stuff and thought you might find interesting so we're gonna start it off with the field of dreams major league baseball had their field of dreams regular season game that they played on August 12th to 2021. The game was played at the Field of the Dreams in Dyersville, Iowa, between the Chicago White Sox and the New York Yankees. This was the first MOB game played in the state of Iowa ever. I know they've had some exhibition games in, mm-hmm. in and around that area, but you know it's never been an official, actually sanctioned MLB game. Tim Anderson hit a two-run homer with one out in the ninth, into the cornfield to end the Field of Dreams game in a cinematic fashion. We're going to talk a little bit more about cinematics in a second. Um, the <laughs> Chicago White Sox won that game nine to eight. Well, just the the idea of it is amazing, and you know, Major League Baseball doesn't really execute many things well, but I, I think they nailed this on the head. I, I thought it was done perfectly. Um, the game was one of the more exciting regular season games that I've seen in a while. It it was just it was perfect. They they could not have executed any better. And something I read said that this was the most regular season. Obviously, not playoffs and World Series, but the most regular season watched game in seventeen seasons. Yeah. So that just shows you how many people were really interested in this game. And I mean, from start to finish, with with Costner coming out of the corn and just the look on his face that that look of wonderment that you just I mean, I'm going to try not to get emotional about it, but it just it it's everything that I love about baseball mm-hmm. happened in that little that little moment, you know, and then and then having him say all those you know wonderful words and just talk about it and kind of at that very end when he said, you know, is this heaven? I, I think it is. And having those players come out at that cornfield, it just it it gave me chills like they did the first time I ever watched the movie. Yeah, and, yeah, and, I agree. And having them just walk up to him and shake his hand as they go to the dugout is just, it was just. Yeah, it it's a great way to, you know, draw more interest into the game because, you know, Major League Baseball needs to think of any way possible to, to draw more interest um, in the game and to, to get more people to watch the games. So, you know, just the way that it was done was just, just perfect. Yeah. It, it definitely got people talking and it's going to keep people talking and hopefully it drew more fans to to watch the game and continue to watch baseball yeah and and like you said with you know to get more people interested in the game of baseball because like i said you know earlier that it's the most watched regular season game in 17 seasons um and you know we've obviously seen a decline in in major league baseball viewership um on the national level and you know, something like that can, can get some people interested and get some kids, you know, interested. And, you know, it, the, un, 
I don't want to say this, but unfortunately, you know, the, the, the children are our future in the scenario where if you don't get them interested in baseball early on, they're not going to yep. watch when they're an adult. So, so hopefully this will be, you know, a uh, big step for it. And the field of dreams game is coming back in 2022 with the Chicago Cubs and the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, that will be emerging from the corn stocks next year. And I'm super excited about, I've already heard, I have a few friends that are diehard Cubs fans and a few <laughs> diehard Reds fans that are like, Hey, it's a nine hour drive from where we are. So, you know, why not, why not try to make it? It's definitely doable. Um, hoping the game, you know, sort of matches the, the quality of this year's game. But um, I think this is something that MLB needs to do every year. You know, I I would love to see this as, as a permanent fixture in the season. Yeah, and I, I don't see why it couldn't be. The the woman, that, and I'm, I'm not sure exactly what her name is. I'll have to look that up. But um, the woman that owned that particular area applied Major League Baseball for, for going on a near decade to try to get uh, a sanctioned MLB game there. Uh, unfortunately, she died in 2018, uh, so she was never actually able to see this come to fruition. Um, but, you know, you know, I know, you know, she's up up there looking down on that game and and knowing that she had something. to do. Yeah. All right. Moving on. Next, we're going to talk about the triple crown in baseball. Yes, it's actually a thing. Triple crown in baseball is when a particular player leads in not only home runs, RBIs, but also average. We've had a couple people come close over the years, but only one has actually been able to actually do it in the last even, I'd say, decade, which is Miguel Cabrera, third baseman for the Detroit Tigers. He did it in 2012. So the person that could have come closest, and I think it's a little bit out of reach now, but uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. could have actually been possibly able to do that this year. Sitting right now, I believe, at 36 home runs, which is tied, or not tied, but he's second in the MLB behind Shohei Otani. He's tied for second in RBIs at 89, I believe, and fourth in MLB for batting average at 312, which he was actually one of the reasons we were talking about this triple crown is that he was actually leading um, in RBI and batting average for a good chunk of the first part of the year. And then it kind of dwindled over these last few uh, let's say last month or last two or three weeks so what do you think as much as i would love to see um vlad pull off the triple crown this year i don't think it's going to happen um he has been able to keep up with Shohei otani in terms of home runs um but he's sitting fourth in the american league right now in a batting average at 309 michael brantley sitting at first at 319 uh, unless brantley just goes ice cold which doesn't happen. Um, I don't see him catching up to to Brantley. Um, RBIs. I mean, he's he's tied tied for second. No, he's actually yeah, he's tied for second right now. Okay. Um, behind Jose Abreu, he could he could catch Abreu. He's only three behind. Um, but I I don't think he's going to catch up in terms of batting average. Yeah, it just doesn't seem possible. And what's crazy is that you know, going back to, you know, the 1800s that the triple crown has only been obtained or won or however you want to look at it 19 total times. And that's, you know, it's something yeah. that you would think the last person besides Miguel Cabrera to do it was 
1967 with Kari Ostromsky of the Boston Red Sox. So it's been, you know, in the last 50, 60 years, it's only happened twice. So it's just a really interesting thing about somebody coming close to it, not quite being able to do it. And yeah. uh, Miggy was able to do it 2012, which is great. It was great to be able to see that in, in some of our lifetime. I actually wasn't aware that there was a pitching triple crown either. And that's obviously with the, you know, top ERA, top wins and top strikeouts. And then blew my mind that Shane Bieber, of the Cleveland Indians actually obtained it last year. Obviously yeah. it was a shortened season. So that had a little bit to do with it, but still, I mean, it's, it, it was obtained and you know, there's no asterisk behind that particular stat line. I still think even if it was a full season, I mean, he was just so far ahead of everybody else in the American League that, you know, even even if it was a full season, I still think that he could have, if not come really, really close to pulling it off, even if it was a full season. I mean, he, uh, looking at his numbers, he had a 163 ERA and eight wins and 122 strikeouts over a 60-game season. So he probably had, what, 12, 12 starts? Yeah. You know, that's absolutely insane. <laughs> 122 strikeouts over 12 starts. That's absolutely incredible. That that means you were just fanning people left and right every time you went up there. And I remember watching a lot of those games last year and, and he was just, he was lights out the entire time. So good on him. Imagine you are in the minor league system for years and you've get called up to the major leagues, but you've, you've only had like three, you know, instances where you even were in a game and you threw maybe an inning or two of relief pitching, but you were never actually, you know, pegged as the starter. And then you come into the, you know, 2021 season and, and the you're going to start this game, first major league start. And so you invite all your family, all your friends to this game, and then you throw a no hitter. Your first <laughs> major league start. That's just that it's just it it blows my mind. That's like, you know, we talk about the Field of Dreams game earlier and, and this storybook type of of moments. You know, I think that the blowout victory is seven to nothing, mm-hmm. throwing a, just a no hitter, and that actually tied the overall record, and I believe it broke the modern day record. The overall record, which was set in like 1884, so it's a, it's a different game, but the modern day record of seven was broke with this eighth no hitter. So what's your take on all this? It's just, it it blows my mind that, you know, any pitcher going out at any day could just have the best day of their life and just throw a no hitter or even a perfect game. Like, you know, normally you would think, you know, pitchers like Garrett Cole or the top pitchers, they're more likely to do it, but literally any, any starting pitcher could go out there and just for whatever reason, they're, you know, curveballs breaking a little bit harder. Their sliders just, you know, breaking a little bit harder than normal. Their their command of their fastballs is better than normal, and they just go out and throw a no hitter. Um, just the the randomness of it is is interesting. But the the story behind Gilbert's no hitter being his his first ever start. You know, having his whole family there and all his friends is, you know, it, it's what you dream of. You know. Yeah, completely. And. You know, very rarely, you know, a pitcher can be in the major leagues for 12 years and never throw a no hitter. And he goes out there and throws it on his first start. That's, I mean, you, you couldn't ask for a better start to a career than that. 
completely. I, I watched the highlights and just seeing his dad in the stands and his dad's, you know, weeping tears of joy, obviously, but just, just to have that moment with your family and with your friends, you know, they're excited just for you to be pitching and, you know, uh, starting a major league game, you know, that, that alone, just, you know, proud and, and all these, that and the other, and then, and then to go out and do that, just, it's yeah. just, again, if, if you're not romantic about baseball after watching stuff like that, then you need to find a different sport because it's stuff like yeah. that, that. This is why we watch baseball to see, to see stuff like that. Yeah. All right. Next, we're going to actually do the standings rundown. First, we're going to start with the American League. Then we're going to go to the National League. And then I'll pick up where some wild cards are in the American League East. The Tampa Bay Rays are sitting atop that division with a 77 wins, 48 losses. They have a 7-3 and three streak over the last 10. So they're de- doing decent. Chicago White Sox, White Sox are sitting extremely pretty atop of the American League Central with a 72-53. They've gone 5-5 five and five in their last 10, but they're still 10 games ahead of the Cleveland Indians, so I don't see that being relinquished anytime yeah. soon. American League West sees the Houston Astros with a 73-51 and 51 record, also 5-5 five and five over their last 10, but they got a nice 3.5 game lead against Oak, over Oakland. That'll be an interesting division to watch over the, the next couple of weeks going into the you know October and stuff like that. In the National League East, we have Atlanta with a 68-56 and 56 record. They are doing phenomenal with a 9-1 record over the last 10. Five games ahead of Philly, so that seems pretty comfortable. It'd be pretty hard for anybody to, to give that up. Our National League Central, Milwaukee, and I know we've talked about that recently over the earlier in the year. Uh, Milwaukee's could be that that sleeper team with all those random, you know, guys, all the superstars yeah. on that team, and uh, they've, you know, they they've stayed strong in the National League Central, seventy six and forty nine record. They're seven and three over their last ten, and they have a seven and a half game lead over Cincinnati for that division. So again, I'm going anywhere. And my most interesting, to me, division is the National League West with San Francisco having an 80-44 and 44 record. They're 7-3 and three over their last 10. They only have a two-and-a-half game lead over the Dodgers in that division. So you could see that coming pretty close down to the wire come you know, late September and maybe that first week of October where there's still a few games left play out in the wild card we have the new york yankees with a comfortable two and a half game lead in that wild card race and the boston red sox and oakland are tied for that second wild card spot with records of 70 and 55 respectively the yankees though are nine and one in the last 10 they've been lights out since the all-star break yeah it's been amazing Red Sox are five and five. Oakland's three and seven. So we'll see. And in the National League, got that Dodger holding strong with that first wild card spot with nine and a half games over Cincinnati for that second wild card spot. So I think it's going to come down to Cincinnati and San Diego for that uh, final wild card spot in mm-hmm. the National League. What do you think of all of that going? It's 
the the next month and a half for rest of the season is going to be really interesting to watch for me keeping track of Oakland they have really done a lot better than what I anticipated going into this season and you know they at at one time they were one of the better teams in baseball I think they were even first in the division for a little bit um but they've really fallen off They're 3 and 7 in their last 10 games um so they're starting to lose some ground when it comes to the division and, you know, catching up to Houston. Um, at this point, I think the wild card might be their best shot. But even then, the the wild card is such a tight race with the American League. The Yankees have gotten a lot better. I, I thought not adding any pitching to their already depleted uh, pitching staff um, would have been disastrous for them. But their offense is come to life over the last month, you know, since the all-star break, they, you know, I, I think at the all-star break, there were only like two games over 500 yeah. and now they're, now they're sitting at 10 games or 20 games over 500. Sorry. I think, I think the Yankees um, come away with one of these wild card spots, but man, I can't help but feel bad for the San Diego Padres <laughs> going into this year. Everyone thought it was going to be San Diego and um, LA fighting it out for the AL West or NL West. And the Giants just came out of nowhere and just keep winning. Um, I thought maybe, you know, May, June, they'd start falling off. They just had a hot streak, but they have stayed strong and got better at the trade deadline. The Padres are only two and eight in their last 10 games. For the amount of stars that they have on that team, like you can't help but just, you know, feel bad for the fans, but also just kind of be disappointed that, you know, this team should have been better still sitting at 10 games over 500. I don't know. I don't, I don't think they'll keep up with Cincinnati. Cincinnati's been playing really well, seven and three in their last 10 games. Um, I know their, their pitching staff has gotten healthy over the last you know couple months, but the NL East has, has really surprised me. The Mets huge disappointment this year. I know Lindor has been hurt, um, but even then when he got hurt, he wasn't having a good season. And Atlanta was having a disastrous season until the trade deadline. Now they've, come back to life. They're sitting at first. And then Philly for a while was actually first in the division within the last couple of weeks. And now they've fallen off and they're five games behind Atlanta. So um, Atlanta, I think at one point was third or fourth in the, in the division. And now they're sitting at 12 games over 500 and they're starting to run away with this thing. Yeah. I, I honestly, I thought with Atlanta when they lost to Cunha Jr., I, I literally, I said, okay, that's the, the most significant bat in their lineup is, is gone. And, and yeah, that we're gonna we're gonna see some losses, but a lot of guys are stepping up. Yeah, they well the the way that they attacked the trade deadline was smart, um, adding a lot of depth into the outfield because um, you know you can't get one guy to replace Acuna, but if you can bring in three or four guys to really solidify that lineup, it can kind of diminish that loss a little bit, and you know it's it's worked out really well for them. Definitely, definitely, it, it's going to be an interesting you know next couple a month and a half or so to find out what where we're going to really sit come come the uh, playoffs and find out who's going to go to the big dance so lastly we are going to add a new little segment to on deck which is one little fact whether it be odd quirky or what have you about baseball that maybe you didn't know Um, i've actually got two that i'm going to talk about one that just happened uh, as we're speaking or as we're doing some research on this. So I will actually let Dom go ahead and do his, and then I will talk about mine. 
So my fun fact is the Cleveland Indians were actually the first team in MLB history to wear numbers on their uniforms. This first appeared on June 26, 1916, but this is usually credited to the Yankees who were supposed to wear numbers on the back of their uniforms a couple days earlier, but their game was actually postponed to June 27th. So the Indians also planned on, you know, rolling out some numbers on their uniforms and actually were the first team to wear them in a game. Like I said, June 26th and the Yankees on June 27th uh, first wore their uniform or first wore the numbers on their uniforms. Okay. Well, it's definitely interesting to, to find out that numbers weren't worn beforehand. You know. Right. Yeah. Who, how do you uh, tell who is who when it comes to stats and stuff? Yeah. And uh, like you, I mean, guess that really wasn't important back then. No, no. You just kind of, oh, who is that? Who? Do, okay. We're, we'll write that down. Yeah. <laughs> The first one that kind of came up with, but then I saw something today. So the first one I was going to think is that Cal Ripken Jr. did not miss a game for 16 years. And a lot of, some people know this, some people don't, but you know, your average fan might not, that he played in 2,632 consecutive games from April 30th, 1982 through September 19th, 1998. And that's just amazing to me that somebody can can you know with with injury plagues as everybody is throughout years and just you know even getting a cold or getting a flu or getting something that that you're telling me for 16 years every single game he went out and played and didn't miss that's just that's just lights out to me the second one was actually happened i believe today Correct me if I'm mistaken, but we talked about him earlier a little bit with Miguel Cabrera being the uh, the last person over the last you know 20 years, but the last you know 50, 60 years to actually ever win the Triple Crown. He actually hit his 500th home run today, mm-hmm. uh, joining that club of 500. He's the 28th person to do so. He did it in, I believe, Toronto. So just shout out to Miguel Cabrera for for 19 seasons, 500 home runs. He's got a triple crown. Um, I believe he has a World Series ring with the Tigers, but that might be. Um, I think it might have been with the the Marlins. I think 2003. Okay. Okay. So yeah. So that's a pretty dang good little uh, little stat sheet that you can have, and and definitely. In my eyes, you know, a first ballot Hall of Famer. Oh, absolutely. So thank you guys for listening to another installment of On Deck presented by Deep Dive Sports. We look forward to bringing you more episodes in the near future. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you would like to hear more, feel free to listen to past episodes and look for new ones every Friday. And don't forget to follow us at Deep dive.sport on twitter instagram and facebook for any update and please let us know what you would like us to take a deep dive into next as always we are deep dive sports until next time